طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek his assistance and we seek his guidance subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evils of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his messenger. May Allah gather us with him in Jannah. Ameen. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the 27th night of Ramadan. And welcome to the final episode of part one of the Meccan era in the series a blast from the past seerah in the 21st century indeed we feel a range of emotions because subhanallah we have Eid in front of us but we know that the month of Ramadan is about to depart us and we feel a range of emotions as well because of our because our nightly sittings with the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is about to come to an end. But remember, brothers and sisters, that whilst the lessons or the nightly sessions might come to an end, the lessons are still there with you all from the previous two to three weeks for you to ponder over, for you to benchmark yourselves against, for you to grow your abilities and become better for you to revive and bring into your life alhamdulillah so the nightly sessions might end but the journey with the seerah continues alhamdulillah alhamdulillah allahumma lakal hamd kama yanbaghi li jalali wajhik wa azim sultanik lakal hamd hatta tarda wa lakal hamd idha radit wa lakal hamd ba'da ridha indeed for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all of praises all of praises, hamd. They all belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do you think, brothers and sisters? Is tonight the night? Allah knows best. What do you feel, I'm asking? You feel Allah knows best? He feels Allah knows best. What does anybody else feel? Is anybody feeling it could be the night? I see the heaters are switched off, subhanallah. And just yesterday or the day before, it was zero degrees here. I mean, it's cold every night. But do you not feel tonight there's, there's just this unique feeling? I mean, there's no bite in the wind. There's no bite in the cold. Wallahu a'lam. During taraweeh, every day people are moving heaters up and down, making sure they're switched on, changing the gas bottles. Today, people were switching them off after four rakah. Did you not notice? Allah knows best. It's Thursday night, it's special. It's an odd night, it's special. It's not just an odd night, it's the 27th night. Allah knows best. Yes, we search for the, the nights 
throughout the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And we know that our scholars say, especially during the odd nights. And they say, especially, especially during the 27th night. Because of how the evidences have come to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those that have witnessed the night of power if it did indeed happen. Perhaps on the 23rd night. And if it hasn't and is yet to come, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us to witness it. Ameen. Ameen. Ya Rabbal Alameen. Brothers and sisters, before we start the final session, I have in front of me a trophy. Can you see this trophy? Anybody's wondering why is this trophy on this table tonight? This trophy is a trophy that is given to first place only. <laughs> what happens whenever I come to Melbourne? I try and it's important, right? It's important for on an organizational level for the team members and directors and line managers and so on and so forth to do some, you know, other tasks together. Not only arranging conferences and lessons and so on and so forth. Different, they are lessons, but different type of lessons. And subhanAllah, Allah has blessed me that every time I come, I come first. I beat them. Alhamdulillah. So they said, you know what, we need to take him go-karting this time. First time it was archery, the next time it was ice skating, right? People who've ice skated, they were dropping on the ice like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I did not. <laughs> so they said, this time, go-karting. And subhanAllah, in the team, secretly, stealth mode, without anyone knowing, there's a superstar driver. But they didn't want to say anything about it. What can we do? So, Alhamdulillah, we went out today after Dhuhr Salah, between Dhuhr and Asr, to, mashallah, some amazing uh, go-karting track somewhere in Melbourne, somewhere far away. And they said, what package should we get? I said, well, the more the merrier, get the gold package, four races, you know, gold package. And we went about racing. Subhanallah, this person all of a sudden from nowhere is just leaving us in his dust leaving us in his dust. I said, Khair, Khair, the last race is coming. First race, I was shocked. Didn't expect this. I wish he worked this hard in our team. <laughs> no, he does, mashallah. Second round, I was third. And th these were just time rounds, you know, testing the waters, warming up the tires, getting used to the track. Then they gave us a third round, third round as well. I was third, but it was, it was, there was a, I wouldn't say cheating because it's the month of Ramadan, we're giving benefit of the doubt. But there were a couple of low blows in how the race happened, you know, like accelerating before the flag and so on and so forth. Khair. Round four, I said, I'm going to come to him with something he's never experienced in his life. You know what I came to him with? Istighfar. <laughs> before the race started, till the race ended, istighfar. And lo and behold, he was in the front. And he's a very good driver. I'm behind. So right through, I'm chasing him. But istighfar always comes through. Just before the end, he spun out of control, went off the track. <laughs> and I came first. Alhamdulillah, deservingly, deservingly. <laughs> Got the trophy. So I thought during our last session, I must parade the trophy. 
before it leaves Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Mashallah, may Allah bring our hearts together. This is good on an organizational level that you take your teams out and you have recreational exercises, you know, recreation. Next time I told them that, look, I don't want to stress you guys out. We'll go fishing, inshallah, next time. <laughs> alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. May Allah bless our brothers and sisters. Wallahi, our team, the team is special. Wallahi, and that's why I'm telling you, brothers, support this place. These brothers are working hard, wallahi. And I tell you, I've seen them take time off work for the work at this Medina. Or they come back from work and throughout the nights they're working. Their families are at home, subhanallah. Right? Whilst the masses are at home with their families, they're here. So that tomorrow's event that you can attend and benefit from, free event, happens successfully. Allahu Akbar. Look at the iftar and the programs that are happening. Right? These last 10 nights, it's been amazing. I mean, yesterday, mashallah, the Medina experienced a stampede of people for iftar. Mashallah. They ran out of food, right? And the brothers left the iftar making sure that the food came in so they could feed our brothers and sisters. Right? You see the brothers and sisters in the bathroom area cleaning, making sure it's clean. Right? MashaAllah. And they do it with a smile, Alhamdulillah. They do it with a smile. And I think we've all experienced this. They're good people, MashaAllah. And I hardly come to them given the nature of some of the other activities that I have. So it's important when we come that we, we do this with, with our people. And Rasulullah also had soft moments with the Sahaba. This is how you build team morale. It's important. It's important. Khair. Yesterday, brothers and sisters, before the end of our session, we were discussing the third tactic of the Quraysh against the Muslims. Pressurizing, first turning a blind eye didn't work. So they had to give the situation their eye. How did they give the situation their eye? By pressurizing Abu Talib. It didn't work. Secondly, character assassination. It didn't work. Thirdly, physical harm. On top of the character assassination, physical harm. On top of the character assassination, physical harm. So this is what they did. And I shared with you scenario after scenario after scenario. Not only Rasulullah but also his companions. Imagine him, Rasulullah who knows that it is his message that was a means of their guidance and they're facing the persecution. Imagine how this was on him as well, right? Imagine how this was on him as well. This is what he had to witness. So the Quraysh went full out with physical harm, full out. And this caused, this caused necessary reactions. It caused necessary reactions. And we will see it in today's lesson because today's lesson or towards the end, we want to discuss the migration to Al-Habasha. This migration happened because of the persecution it was getting out of hand. So, physical harm came in. And that's where we stopped at yesterday. And we know that our, the nature of our lessons together is we have lessons from everything that we discuss. So what lessons can we take from the physical harm? We discussed the propaganda and lessons we can get from it. Remember that? Right? What can we get into... Today, how can we benefit from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Well, firstly, brothers and sisters, we learn the lesson of counting our blessings. 
counting our blessings. Wallahi, we are Muslims, born Muslims and reverts, new Muslims. Alhamdulillah. But we don't have to go through what the Sahaba radiallahu anhum went through. What Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam went through. And do you, do you know how you understand a blessing? You understand it in two ways. Firstly, by learning history. And this was what we opened the series with. The importance of studying history. Learning the way of the people before. It's very important. When the Sahaba were being persecuted, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would direct them to the people that were persecuted before for saying la ilaha illallah Muhammad, uh, for saying la ilaha illallah for saying there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would teach them how they were persecuted a way far more severe than what they were facing history helps you understand your blessing sometimes you're in a difficulty but when you look back at history you start seeing your difficulty as a blessing in comparison to those before it's a blessing it could have been worse so we recognize blessings by studying history. And this is the Quranic narrative as well. Because we know Surah Yusuf, for example, was revealed during the hardest times after Khadija passed away, after Abu Talib passed away, after he was stoned at Ta'if sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The most difficult of times. And they said, lana. If you can you perhaps share with us stories. Perhaps. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the story of Yusuf to ease the difficulty upon the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in and the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That Yusuf alayhi salam and Ya'qub alayhi salam, they were tested for more than 50 years. Allah knows best. A rough calculation. More than 50 years. But they came out on top. So don't lose hope, O believers. It's only 5 years. It's only 10 years. It's only 23 years. Don't lose hope. Indeed, the help of Allah is near. So we understand a blessing by firstly studying history. And then what's the second thing? By benchmarking ourselves to the people of the past and what they had to go through. Understand this, brothers and sisters. Even fasting. The way we fast is different to how other people fasted. This fast is a mercy. People say, subhanallah. Fasting. It's hard. Wallahi, it's easy. It's easy. Consider how the fasting of the people before. We know some Christians, their fast is if they have iftar, the moment they eat the last morsel of iftar, the fast begins again. Do you know this? There are some Christians who fast this way. This is their fasting. And our sharia has made it forbidden for us to fast continuously. We have to have the iftar. And then we, Allah says, فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجَرِ مِنَ الْفَجَرِ That eat and drink until true dawn appears. ثُمَّ أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامِ إِلَى اللَّيْنِ And then fast till the night. Alhamdulillah. Right? So we recognize the situation of the people before through studying history and then benchmark ourselves against that. This is how we recognize a blessing. This is the first thing we learn, brothers and sisters. Your situation and my situation in Islam, Wallahi, we need to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We take it for granted. Wallahi, we do. We take it for granted the fact that Allah gave us La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. This is not a small thing, brothers and sisters. People were persecuted for it. We have it, alhamdulillah, upon 
security, upon peace, upon contentment. Don't belittle this gift. Wallahi, the greatest gift you and I have is La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And you know what? Allah gave it to us when we didn't even ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Imagine what Allah can give us if we asked Allah. This is what you have to think, especially in these nights. What do you think your greatest gift is? <clears throat> what do you think your greatest gift is? Your wife? Your children? Zinatul Hayatid Dunya? The glitter and glamour of this life? Or is it the fact that you have declared the oneness of Allah and accepted the prophecy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? What do you think your greatest gift is? How many of us recognize it as a gift? Wallahi, we wake and sleep and we don't even know that we are carrying the greatest treasure, the treasure of Islam. We have to learn this from this fiqh seerah. How does it apply to us? How does it apply to us? Count your blessings, brothers and sisters. We all must. Speaker included first. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our lack of recognition. Recognition. Wallahi, imagine you give a gift to somebody and you visit them the next time and you see that gift in the dustbin. How would you feel? You give someone a gift. It's human nature. They don't thank you for it. They make as if, you know what, you were supposed to give me that gift. Don't expect to be thanked. Well, what would you say? Say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Give me back my gift. That's what we would say. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Qad a'atana al-Islam. Allah gave us Islam. And we did not ask Allah for it. The greatest treasure. What can Allah give us if we asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And how can we doubt Allah and deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we ask Him and Allah, because of His divine wisdom, chooses to accept our dua in a different way than we anticipate. Not by giving us what we ask for, perhaps removing difficulty. And you and I act in haste and we say Allah is not accepting our dua. Or perhaps Allah wants to give you on the day of Qiyamah when it's needed. And we still act in haste. And we say Allah didn't accept our dua. This is being, this is, this is a type of kufru ni'am. This is a type of being ungrateful. Very important lesson, brothers and sisters. Count your blessings. This is what we learn from the Sahaba's persecution. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa persecution. Secondly, secondly we learn that this life and its luxuries is not the measuring stick to understand right from wrong. It's not. It's not the, it doesn't mean people in power said something that this is right. It's not the measuring stick. Look what the Quraysh were doing. They agreed, the House of Representatives agreed that we will persecute them. Was this right? No. Yes, they were rich. And the Muslims, they were slave boys. There was Musab ibn Umair who was booted out of his home from rich to poor for Islam. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we know how humble he was sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And who was right and who was wrong? The rich people of power or the people who didn't have so much financial standing or material well-being? Who? 
the Muslims. We learned this, brothers and sisters. We learned this. This life and its luxuries and the people who possess it is not the measuring stick and the yardstick to understand right from wrong. Yes, if you're in a country and that is the law, you respect it. But does it mean you have to agree that it's right? No. You tolerate it. But do you have to agree that it's right? No. What is right and wrong is what the Quran and the Sunnah teaches us is right and wrong. Is this clear? Naam. We also learn from this that the haqq and truth is not always with the majority. It's not what the majority feel. That is all. I'm not saying in all cases. I'm saying to say it as a blanket ruling that what the majority want is right. No, not always. Allah says, وَإِن أَكْثَرَ مَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ يُضِلُّوكَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ If you were to follow أَكْثَر The majority, the majority, huh? the majority voted. If you were to follow the majority on the face of this earth, they will swerve you off the straight path. They will cause misguidance to come into your life. And that's why yesterday I said, you know, be strange. People say, you know, I can't do this, I look funny. Wallahi, you know what? It's good to be strange. The halal strange. Not the wrong strange. Don't get me wrong. The halal strange. When you fast and others eat. Majority are eating, you fast. Majority are sleeping, you eat tahajjud. Majority don't feel affiliated to the beard, you feel affiliated to it. People say, you know, that guy, he's, he's odd, he's strange. You know what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said? Fatuba lil ghurabah. Glad tidings to the strange one. To the strange one. The one who's trying to fit in the Quran and the Sunnah, not fit with the majority. And subhanallah, the Quranic message teaches us that it's always the majority that have a problem. Most of them are not thankful. Most of them do not know. Quran is just. He didn't say all of them. Most of them. Allah says, وَمِن قَوْمِ مُوسَىٰ أُمَّتُوِي يَهْدُونَ بِالْحَقِّ وَبِهِ يَعْدِلُونَ Right? The Quran is just. From the people of Musa, Allah said, there's people who are guided and people who are just. The Quran is just. Remember the message about being just when we speak. We don't say all of people. Right? Sahih Imam Al-Ayah. Our Imam read it for us not so many nights ago in Salah. The Quran is just. So we don't say everybody is wrong. And we don't say the majority is always wrong. But we say to say the majority is always right. That is also not correct. They're not always right. There's times when they are wrong. And the Quran has shown us this. This part of the seerah teaches us this. The majority, they were wrong. They were wrong. The haqq was with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the handful of people that were with them. Point number three. What do we learn? Allah could have prevented all this from happening. All this persecution. All this character assassination. Allah could have done it. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam never... He never had to have been uh, strangled or his shirt ripped or beaten, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, nor the companions. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have averted all this. This is a lesson we learn, especially today. How many people are saying, what's happening in Palestine? What's happening? Right? And weakness of Iman. They start questioning Allah. And they say things which one shouldn't say. They start doubting. Some people, these things happen, they start doubting. Can there be a God? How can a God allow this innocent children, innocent this, innocent that? The people who are killing innocent children and women and so on and so forth, blame them. Don't blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But let's take the lesson. Could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not have averted all this harm from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the believers? Yes. But why did it happen so? Divine wisdom. Wisdom that you and I don't understand. And again, let me share with you my example of hailstones. How many times have we shared it? It's the best example that people relate to. It's the best example. Whenever you see something you can't understand, it always looks bad. Know and understand that there's goodness to it that we can't see. And it's up to us to ponder over it some more and find the goodness. In many cases, if you caused your paradigms to, to, to transcend the grave, you will see the benefit in it. But if you want to live life till the grave, then yes, it's all doom and gloom. Because the dunya is being taken away. Right? But if you know there's the day of judgment, and people are shaheed, they die innocently, they're martyrs. What's the reward for them? And then all the other benefits that come about, like Muslims giving charity, worshipping Allah in different ways, right? Coming together to announce oppression taking place and the need for justice. This is all from the teachings of Islam. They get rewarded. There's so many goodnesses, but we don't, put, we don't pick up on it. And there's greater goodnesses than this that we will know on the day of Qiyamah. But again, we say we believe in the last day, but we speak as if we don't believe in the last day. Wallahi, a person who starts questioning, how can this happen? How can Allah let this happen? Do you believe in the articles of faith? He says, yes. So where's the belief? You believe good and bad faith is from Allah? Yes. You believe in the last day? Yes. So why is your speech of a person who does not believe in the last day? Why? Because you said it with your mouth. It didn't pass your collarbone. It didn't get to your heart. It's just data. It's not processed data which becomes information. This is the problem with us. Too much data. We can count everything. We can count six pillars of Iman, five pillars of Islam. This is the wajibat. These are the sunan. We know all the data. But have we made, have we processed it so it's become part and parcel of our fabric? Have we done that? Where it governs how we speak, it governs how we think, it governs how we analyze. We've got to ask ourselves. Now, there are wisdoms that our scholars have shared with us. When calamity befalls the ummah. One of the greatest wisdom, takfir al-dhunub. Removal of sins. Removal of sins. Removal of sins. There's no harm that you go through, even if a thorn pricks you, except that the pain that you feel, Allah uses it as a means to remove your, your sins. Now I ask you, getting pricked by a thorn, good or bad? <laughs> I'm not saying go get yourself pricked now. Huh? But if it happens... If it happens, that pain you feel, Allah is removing your sins. Wallahi, the people, the greater the pain, the greater your sins are being removed. And the greater rewards people are getting. 
if they only knew. We also feel and we must feel. Allah will reward us for it. And we must act as well. Allah will reward us for it. Bismillah. <clears throat> right, brothers and sisters? So the first benefit or the first wisdom, let's call it these are divine wisdoms. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have averted this from Abu Bakr and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Sahaba, but no, made them go through it. What are the wisdoms? One, removal of sins. Two, to teach us how to react to harm and not doubt our Iman and Islam because of harm. Because when you and I get harmed today, we don't deny Allah. Why? Because we say the best person to have walked the face of this earth, the man who came with this message, he too experienced difficulty. Not so? We have, we have a, a place of solace. When we're going through difficulty, we say Rasulullah went through difficulty. This doesn't mean we should give up Islam. Did he give up Islam? No. Did the Sahaba give up Islam? No. This is where we stick on. This is where we hang on. It gives us willpower. It gives us strength to carry on and continue. This is the lesson. Divine wisdom our scholars rahmatullahi alayhim have cited behind why Allah caused this difficulty to befall Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his people. Allah could have averted it. I'm going to repeat this many a time because we have a situation in the Middle East. So, harm came to Rasulullah and his companions. So, you and I can look back, study history, and say, you know what? This is not a reason to leave Islam. People suffered worse than us and they remained Muslims. And they became great Muslims, the greatest Muslims that walked the face of this earth. Number three, what's the third lesson? Is it the third or the fourth? Fourth lesson. The fourth lesson. It instigates thought. It instigates thought amongst the neutrals especially. When neutrals are witnessing one group punishing another group, what happens? It instigates thought. Say, hold on a second here. You know, especially people of principle. People of principle who want to stand up for justice. When they see one group oppressing the other, it's good for da'wah as well. It instigates thought amongst the neutrals. I'll give you an example. Hamza radiallahu anhu. Who was he? The uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa How did he become a Muslim? How? Do you know how? Because of the persecution that the Muslims got. He went to defend Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa from the harm of Abu Jahl. He was told when he was getting into the city by a person, by a female. That look what he's doing to your nephew. Immediately, Hamza was a mighty man. Immediately went to him. I said, what is this? Not knowing the situation. He's come in. He says, no, this is what he's calling to. And so on and so forth. And so on and so forth. What did Hamza say to him? Leave him. For I'm on his way also. Allahu Akbar. Did he meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi yet? No. But look, the neutral who has principles, listen to what's going on. He said, no. I'm upon his way, you leave him alone, you don't touch him. And then he went to Rasulullah and completed his entry into Islam. See men of principle? So look, this is wisdom. Did the da'wah not grow from this? This is, this is benefit. So the harm they were getting was da'wah in fact. Allahu Akbar. Most people do not know. Right? Again, remember the hailstones. There's always good 
Yes, yes, what's happening in Gaza? It's bad. There's a lot of bad, but there's a good side to it that you and I still, we don't know. It's there. And some that we know from their sins being removed, from da'wah being spread. Right? We saw the Jews in Tel Aviv protesting against the strikes. Right? Support coming up. There's, there's, there's positives that come about. There's positives. As we see the negative, also see the positive. There are positives. And there's greater positives that we will know on the day of Qiyamah. We know this. We know this. There's greater positives we will know on the day of Qiyamah. We know many ahadith about a person who will come in front of Allah and see Jannah and say, Allah, from where? Allah will say, remember, these du'as you did, I saved it for you. You did this, I saved it. Because you you, out of excitement, you know what? You know, insan, huh? This is us. We say, Allah, really? I wish you didn't give me anything in the dunya and saved it for me here. <laughs> now you can say it because now we're there, right? But this is happiness we get. Allah has it for us. You have to have good hope in Allah. I was telling you the other day, Hassan of one, have good hope in Allah. You prayed your salah, have good hope Allah has accepted it. You made dua, have good hope Allah has accepted it. Not that you ask Allah for forgiveness and then you doubt, may, maybe, inshallah Allah forgave me, you know. I don't know, I'm not inshallah for barakah, inshallah doubt. You know, there's many types of inshallahs nowadays. There's inshallah yes, there's inshallah no, there's inshallah maybe. Huh? You know this, isn't it? That's why now when you tell someone, listen, are you coming? Say inshallah, say yes or no, which one? Just uh, make it clear. Because it's mutashabih al-an. <laughs> it's become mutashabih. It has many meanings, inshallah. Right? We say, you know, inshallah, Allah is accepted as if we're doubting. No, brothers and sisters. No. You make dua and you know Allah has accepted it. You have good hope in Allah. Allah loves to forgive. You have good hope in Allah. Allah loves to accept my dua. You have good hope in Allah. What are you going to lose having good hope in Allah? Will you lose anything? Will you lose anything? No. You won't. Have good hope in Allah. Wallahi, I know some nights we've read the salah, we've had a headache. Right? We felt weak. Right? We're human beings. So maybe perhaps we didn't feel that sweetness, the concentration wasn't there. Then we start doubting. No, Wallahi, the night. No. Have good hope in Allah. Khalas. Ya Allah, I tried. وَإِنَّ رَحْمَتَكَ أَرْجَعَ إِنْدَنَا مِنْ أَعْمَالِنَا Ya Allah, your mercy is, is, is... We have greater hope in your mercy than we have in our actions, Ya Allah. Have good hope in Allah. We must have good hope in Allah. Okay? So there's always good even if we cannot see it. Whatever Allah does, He does good. Write this in gold. Tweet it as well. Whatever Allah does, He does good. Whatever Allah does, He does good. Make it your habit. Calamity strikes you. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Indeed, we are from Allah and to Allah we will return. Lillahi ma akhadha wa lahu ma a'ta wa kullu shayin indahu ila ajalim musamma. For Allah is what He took as was for Allah what He gave. And everything Allah causes to exist comes into existence with an expiry date. This is the sunnah of Allah. Everything that comes to exist has an expiry date. And we say, whatever Allah does, Allah does good. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Ameen. So these were some of the lessons we learned. And as usual, brothers and sisters, what we've learned is far less than what we could have learned. And with that, we come to another incident in the seerah. And that is the incident related to 
the gathering of the Muslims in a house, a house known as Dar al-Arqab. Dar al-Arqab, a famous house. Because it became a school and a place of worship and a place of unity and a safe haven, a safe house. This house is reported to be or to have been on Mount Safa. And it had a back door which you could enter without anybody noticing. So it was the perfect place for the Muslims. Remember, it wasn't announced by name who and who are Muslims for the Muslims to go and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and learn from the Quran and learn from the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and be united and so on and so forth. I had to share this short incident with you because the lessons are mighty especially in the 21st century. This house or the occurrences of this house came about in which year? The fifth year after Nubuwah. When we study the history of the Prophet ﷺ, we have two dates. We have before Hijrah or better, after prophethood. And then we have after Hijrah. Right? The Islamic calendar we have is after Hijrah calendar. After Hijra calendar, meaning 13 years after Islam, or the, the start of that calendar is 13 years after Islam. Although it didn't come about at the time of the Prophet, the Hijra calendar that we have was brought about by who? By Umar ibn Khattab. The Hijra calendar that we have, you know, we say so many years after Hijra, after Hijra. This calendar came about by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspiring who? Umar, Umar ibn Khattab. But the calendar starts. From the time the Muslims migrated from Mecca to Medina, when the, from the Hijrah, from the Hijrah. Okay, what lessons do we learn from the house known as Dar al-Arqam? Firstly, brothers and sisters, the importance of Salah in congregations, Salatul Jama'ah. We learn this because they gathered here to worship Allah together, together. We learn the importance of Salatul Jama'ah. And what will make us understand the importance of Salatul Jama'ah? I'm not talking about the difference of opinion between the Hanafi Madhab and the other Madhahib and so on and so forth. Or the difference of opinion between the Madhahib with regards to whether it's compulsory and so on and so forth. But no doubt, all of the scholars agree that it's, it has a mighty placement in the religion and it's definitely better than your individual salah. Salatul Jama'ah. What will make us understand, brothers and sisters? So important is salah together that even at the time of war, at the time of war, the other night we were reading the ayat. We were reading the ayat of how salah should happen during war. During war. When the enemy is in front of you, how you should observe the salah so you can observe it in jama'ah. Allahu Akbar. Look at that. The enemy is in front of you. But the sharia came with the salah that it can still be done in jama'ah and at the same time, someone will keep watch on the enemy. The, the actuality of the salah is beyond the scope of this class. But it teaches us how important Salatul Jama'ah is. That even in the time of war, Subhanallah. Point number one. Point number two. 
Look at the Muslims. So early on, when they were allowed to keep it silent, they were still told, let's find a place to gather to observe the salah together. Salatul Jama'ah. And brothers and sisters, look, you know, now you're frequenting the Masjid Ramadan and we salah together. How does it feel? When you pray salah at home, how does it feel? Is the sweetness the same as when you're with your brothers and sisters? No. Even in the masajid that read short salah, we say, you know what, go pray with the jama'ah. They were telling me in Melbourne, there's some masajid, mashallah. It's like a stretching uh, program, aerobics. Very, it's quick, mashallah. Right? So he says, should I read at home, looking in the mushaf, or should I read with the jama'ah? I said, well, there's other masajid, but if you can only go to this masjid, still go there. That's the pious predecessors used to say, it's more beloved to me to stand and listen to a few ayat in the jama'ah than to read the, 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 uh, to, to read the salah by myself at home. Subhanallah. Unity. Being together. Salatul jama'ah teaches us unity. For Allah brings us together five times a day. You know, if you look at the pillars of Islam, it teaches us unity. Look at salah. Unity five times a day. Look at fasting, unity during one month of the year. Look at zakah, unity with the impoverished. Look at hajj, unity of the ummah in Mecca. Allahu Akbar. Right? Look at the shahada, the greatest form of unity. A unity which is greater than a bond. A unity that creates a bond which is far greater than the bond of blood. Salatul Jama'ah. We learn this, brothers and sisters. Secondly, we learn the importance of having schools. We need schools. Good schools. We need good schools. The right schools. Progressive schools. Schools that are upon the ethos of looking at what education can be and not what it is. Good schools. Darul Arqam was a school. Needed to come together in a school. The teacher, the best teacher ever, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The students, the earliest Muslims. That's why we have to discuss Dar al-Arqam. This house of this amazing man. Al-Arqam ibn Abi al-Arqam. We learned the importance of education. We discussed it. But for this particular point, we learned the importance of schools and having good schools. Brothers and sisters, MashaAllah, there's been a revival in terms of Islamic schools. But to be honest, the Islamic schools are in need of Islam to a certain degree. In terms of some of the practices, yes. But when I say Islam, I mean excellence. Remember the other day I said, excellence is the minimum requirement. I call this Islam. Because Ihsan is, is, is in the circle of Islam. Islam means excellence also, technically. That Islamic school is in need of Islam, meaning excellence. Where the product is amazing. The Muslim that graduates from it is a confident Muslim, an able Muslim, a well-rounded Muslim, a holistic Muslim, a nurtured Muslim. We need this. We need these schools. Look at Dar al-Arqam. The Muslim, early Muslims realized we need a school. They took a house as a school, a premises. We need this brothers and sisters. As a community, we should not feel we do not need a school. There's enough schools. The public schools are enough and so on and so forth. No. Ask yourself, what can education be? Don't ask yourself what it is. 
and strive to make it. And if you need a school to do it, go and get the school. And if you're able to influence an existing school, that's better because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. It, needs, it takes a lot of money and effort, right? To build another school. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes the school blocks you out. They're not interested. So you have no choice but to go and instigate the, 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 the establishment of another school. Schools are important. And I wish I had such a long time to discuss with you education. Tayyip. What else do we learn? What do we learn from this, brothers and sisters? We learn from this the importance of having good company. Good company, good friends. Remember who the majority, were they Muslims or non-Muslims? Non-Muslims. So a person who's recited the Shahada and is hiding the fact that he's a Muslim, who is he hanging around with? Muslims or non-Muslims? Non-Muslims. So the Muslims needed a place where they could come together and be Muslims. We need good company. We learn this from this. This is when you ponder. We, we want to extract. Let's take from the seerah in the 21st century. We need good company. And you know what? This lesson of good company is not a lesson of the 21st century. It's a lesson from that time as we've seen here. And it's a lesson throughout the ages of Islam. It's something that Rasulullah taught us. It's something that the Quran taught us. Do you know the Quran teaches us that we should have good friends and good company? Friends that remember the grave and remember the hereafter. This is what I mean when I say good friends. So their character is in check. When you're with them, they're not only discussing the latest phone and the latest games. <coughs> they also discuss ibadah and salah and the punishment of the grave and the standing in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah. Do you know the Quran teaches us this? It does. Where? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu O you who believe, be people of taqwa. This is the month of taqwa. We're looking for the means of taqwa. What is the means of taqwa? Having a righteous friend circle. Having good friends. And Rasulullah taught us the effect of bad friends and good friends upon us and our children. For Rasulullah said, that the example of a person who has a good companion is like the example of a person who has a friend that sells itar. You know itar? Perfume? You know perfume? Yes. He sells perfume. You have a friend who has a perfume shop. When you go visit this friend, MashaAllah, he's so happy to see you. Allahu Akbar. He pulls out a bottle of oud and he gives you La ilaha illallah oud. Kambudi. Ba'd. MashaAllah. Huh? <laughs> it's expensive. He's given you expensive perfume. A whole bottle. He's so generous. Did you benefit? You did. Alright. He's not that generous. Yani, he's not that generous. But when you visited him, he took out the bottle of oud and said, try some. Tafadbal. Jarrib Try some, right? Did you benefit? Yes. Not, not like the first guy who got a whole bottle, but you still benefited. Okay. He's even less generous than this. You go visit him, he doesn't take out a bottle, he doesn't offer you anything. But he allows you to be in his scented perfume shop. The smells are nice. So the smells rub, out on your, rub onto your clothes. When you leave the shop and people see you in, on the street, what will they say? They say, did you come out of that shop? 
Will they not say that? Did you benefit or not? You benefited. When you have a good friend, you always benefit. Maybe a big benefit like a bottle of perfume. Or medium benefit that you are allowed to try some perfume. Or small benefit, but still benefit because you are in this good environment. Win-win situation. Okay. What about if you have a bad friend? Rasulullah says that the one who has a bad friend or the example of a person who has a bad friend is like the example of a person who has a friend that smells iron. He's an iron monger. He smells iron. When you visit this friend, you might get too close and not be careful. And a spark will come out of the blast furnace and burn your clothes. Did you win or lose? Lost. In a big way. Okay, you say, no, he's a bad friend. Okay, I'm going to be careful. You know what? I am going to stand between the door and the blast furnace. Not by the blast furnace, but between the door and the blast furnace. Okay. So you stood between the door and the blast furnace. The black smoke of the room went onto your white thobe and blackened it as well. You didn't burn your thobe, but your thobe became black. Win or lose? Lost. Maybe you didn't lose your whole thobe, but now your thobe has got black on it. You can't even wash it off. Okay. You say, no, 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 my parents told me this guy is bad company. I'm going to stay away from him. You know what? I'm not going to stay away from him. I'm going to be extra, extra careful. I'm going to stand by the door. There's a lot of Arabs here, brothers and sisters, for those in the audience. So. Alright, so you stood at the door. When you were at the door, where was your nose? Inside the room or out of the room? Inside. So you had to breathe the monoxides in the air. Win or lose, your thobe is clean, alhamdulillah, but you still got harm, not so? You can never ever win from bad company, just like you can never ever lose from good company. We learn from Dar al-Arqam the importance of al-jalisa salih of having a good friend circle. And you need to do this, parents, you need to do this, you need to check. Even the virtual friends, the Facebook friends, the what you have, you have to check what type of friends that we have. Because remember we discussed in the earlier episodes how the child is imitative by nature. If you didn't watch it, go and watch that episode. Your child is going to get influenced. Your wife is going to get influenced. Your husband is going to get influenced. You keep sending your wife to people who live an extravagant life. It's going to rub slowly but surely. It's going to rub onto her. I'm not saying stop them from going if the person is a good company. But advise your family that look, you know, they have a different life to us. The life they live is not our life. Important to have, to have the discussion. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, message from yesterday. Do not be naive. Do not be naive. Don't take things for granted that everything will just be. It won't be. There's a system in play. And the system works. The system works. You know, mashallah, as I said, the brothers and sisters, they put me up in... The 45th floor here in central Melbourne. I see the whole of Melbourne. The whole of Melbourne. I see people leaving the city in the evening and morning time, Fajr time, they're coming to work. And I'm so high, these cars look like little ants. But you know what? Saturday, I don't see that. 
Nobody's coming into the city. Six o'clock, roads are empty. Any other day, one after the other, one of like little ants. Wallahi, every street, every system. And you know, from on top, you can see the, 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 code, the driving code in play. How cars just go all of a sudden stop in the middle, then cars are passing, then they stop, this car drives in. Wallahi, I, let me not tell you what I've been doing in my free time. <laughs> I'm sitting and pondering, I'm looking at this and saying, Subhanallah. Brother Raymond visited me the other day. I said, come Brother Raymond, look at this. I said, look, the system is working. It's working. There's a system in play and it works. It works. You hang around wrong company, don't be naive. You will be bitten. You have good company, it will rub on, it will have an effect on you. Wallahi, just in Riyadh, there was a, there was a family, they had a daughter who was getting out of control, subhanallah. And then after some time, I inquired, how is she? They said, she's back to normal. She's become well. I said, what happened? What did you do? What books did you do? She says, nothing. All we did was this other family came from the UK and she befriended this family's daughter and she changed. She started praying, she started not wearing the makeup and so on and so forth. Meaning makeup and leaving the house and you know, in an un-Islamic manner. Friends play a part in our life. So we learn the importance of having good company. We also learn brothers and sisters and this is for our da'wah brothers. I always have to have something for my for my organizational heads in the audience, right? We learn the importance of having a premises for your da'wah project. Even if it's a room at, at, at your house. Even if it's a room at your house, you need to have a premises. You can't be meeting online all the time. Skype, Telegram, WhatsApp, and so on and so forth. Everything is remote. Blackberry, emails. No, you need the human touch. You need to have a premises where you come together. You need to have that, brothers and sisters, right? You need to have that. We learned this from Dar al-Arqam. They had to come together. They had to have the human touch. Be together. We learned this. Importance of having a premises for our da'wah organization. And now, alhamdulillah, in the age of technology, we have da'wah organizations that are virtual. Virtual. It's on the internet. You open a website, right? And everything, the website takes care of everything. Some people can work remotely. Right? But it works better if you have a place that you can meet up at regularly. It works better. We learn this. What else do we learn? Unity. The importance of unity, brothers and sisters. I want, we learned it from the I, I shared the, the lesson from the Salah perspective. But I want to share it with you now from the Dar al Arqam perspective. They came together, unity, to be united. Unity is important, brothers and sisters. It's unity that keeps us strong together. It's disunity that makes us vulnerable. You know, when I was a young boy, my father taught me unity very beautifully. And I discussed it on a short reminder online. In Africa, we have, we, we call it braise. You guys call it barbecue. You guys call it barbecue, huh? We have braise. Same thing, just different terminologies. To start up, you need twigs, right? Fire starters, twigs. And I was a small boy and I remember he said, go and get these twigs, go and pick up twigs from under the tree. You know, little boy, you're happy, it's exciting, it's Sunday, you're outing, you're doing something with your dad. I'm, I'm you're happy, I go, I'm picking up these twigs, I'm coming. So my dad would say, break this, I'll break it. Broken. Okay, go get some more, get some more. Now there's a bunch, he gives it to me. The bunch together, he says, break it. I'm trying, my little hands trying, can't break it. You can't break it, try harder. 
but you broke the other one. Come on, try. Trying, I can't. He goes, okay, give it to me. Takes them back, takes one out, gives me that. Now break this one, broken. Says, you see? You see, he was trying to teach me from a young age. I have two sisters. He was trying to teach me that you must be together with your sisters, be united. He's giving me a, a lesson for the home. Jazakallah khair. Hafidhahullah is still alive, mashallah. So I'm to say, if you be together, no one will break you. How this sticks together, no one could break it. We couldn't break it. But the moment we took one out of the pack, broken. Another one, broken. Another one, broken. But the same sticks together, you couldn't break it. Wallahi, I remember this lesson whenever I discuss unity. Remember it. Wallahi, I remember it. And what a beautiful lesson it is. So we learn this, brothers and sisters. With that, we come to the next incident in the seerah, and this is the last incident for the series. And this is the hijrah to Habasha. Hijrah to Habasha. Very quickly, brothers and sisters. Muslims were being persecuted. Pressure was mounting on Abu Talib, and now in an even greater way. And Rasulullah was becoming affected by the persecution upon the Muslims, by his uncle being pressured. Something had to happen. So Rasulullah inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, directed the Muslims to go to Habasha. And he said that in Habasha, there is a just king, and Habasha will be an abode for you until Allah opens away. So what happened? Uthman ibn Affan, his wife Ruqayya bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, Utba ibn Rabi'ah, and his wife, Sahla bin uh, bint uh, Suhail, Az-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam, Mus'ab ibn Umayr, Abu Salama ibn Abd al-Asad, and his wife Um Salama bint Abi Umayyah, Uthman ibn Mad'un, Amir ibn Rabi'ah, and his wife Layla. This group left Mecca, heading towards Jeddah or Juddah. And they got to a place which the scholars today say is around 70 kilometers south of Jeddah or Juddah. And here, it so happened that Allah made the setting that two ships came in for trade. So they boarded these ships and went. How did they go to South Jeddah or Juddah? Some walked and some rode. Now we know when we land at the airport and the drive to Mecca, it's not, a, it's, 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 it's not a short drive. 45 minutes, one hour, depending on traffic. 120 kilometers, wide roads, air-conditioned vehicles, big Camry, spacious, right? <laughs> Imagine then, desert, hills, not flattened roads, mountains. This journey was no small journey, but they had to do it. They did it. And... They went to Habasha. When did this happen? Also in which year? The fifth year after Nubuah. Well done. After Nubuah. After prophethood. So they went. And they found safe haven. And were free from persecution. And they developed their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And their brotherhood and sisterhood. And belief and so on and so forth. And they didn't stay too long. It lasted a few months and they returned. Now, there's a story which mentions why they returned. But the story is heavily disputed amongst the scholars. 
And for us to sit and discuss that story, its authenticity, or if it's authentic, how we should understand it, and so on and so forth, it will take us away um, from the endeavors of this class. So I'll leave it out for uh, this particular sitting. As I said, this is not dedicated towards going through the seerah word for word. We want to take the incidents and take lessons from the incidents, right? So there's, there is an incident that the scholars of Hadith and the historians discuss heavily. And they say this incident was the incident why they left Habash and went back to Mecca. Ala kulli hal. For our class, they didn't last long in Habasha. And they returned. Now, this move happened in stealth mode. Meaning, when they left, the people of Mecca didn't know that there's mass movement here. Meaning, there's movement. It wasn't mass. It was a few people, as you've seen. I cited for you the names that these people have moved. But it so happened that the persecution was carrying on and carrying on and carrying on that Rasulullah had to command them again to go to Habasha once again. Hijrah number two. This time though, 83 men and 18 females attempted the journey. Much larger group. Caught the eyes of the Quraysh, that these people are leaving. Where are they going? Let's find out. Send the intelligence. <laughs> right? Let's find out. So they found out. Now the Quraysh were on a mission, right? They wanted to eradicate Islam. They weren't going to leave people to go and settle somewhere else for Islam to grow and come back stronger. So what did they do? They responded. What was the response? The Quraysh said, we will send the best from us. Who was the best? You know, obviously propaganda has to spread. We're spreading it here. We need to send the best to spread it there. So the king kicks them out, right? And we're going to send our best and not only send them, we're going to send them with mighty gifts for Najashi, the king of Habasha. We're going to send him mighty gifts. So who did they send? Amr ibn Las and Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah. Amr ibn Las, he had a mighty mind, very intelligent. These two, just two people, imagine. In, in wake of a hundred people, going you got just two people going to do what the purpose of doing what spreading propaganda and we discussed propaganda in detail so they went and they went with their gifts and they went to najashi and they gave him the gifts and they spoke a beautiful speech but it didn't work why what did rasulullah say about najashi he was what a just king what does a just person do thank you for coming with your gifts i've heard what you've had to say Hold on a second. Let's call them and give them a chance to speak. That's what just people do. Not you listen to one side and then you start giving advice. No. You start creating reactions to what's been heard. No. Find out what's on the other side. There's two sides to every story. So the Muslims were told, listen, you're being called in by the authority of the land. So now the Muslims had a meeting. Listen, we need a speaker. Who's going to speak? We need someone to speak. So they discussed, discussed, discussed. Mashwara wa amruhum shura. Right? They, they, they had mashwara and a discussion and deliberation. And they agreed that, you know what? Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. He should be the speaker. So they went. And Ja'far uh, went ahead and spoke. What did Ja'far say? Obviously Najashi asked, 
asked the Muslims, we have these representatives, this is what they've said, what do you have to say? Ja'far spoke an amazing word. Ja'far said, we were a people in jahiliyyah, in ignorance, we used to worship idols, and we used to eat the meat of dead animals, and we used to be immoral people, involved in adultery and so on and so forth, and we used to break the bond of kinship, and we used to disrespect our neighbor, and the strong from amongst us used to eat the weak. The rich from amongst us used to oppress the poor. This is who we were. This is what Jafar said. Right? And then he spoke about what Rasulullah came with. This is what Jafar did. Alright. That's what happened. What are the lessons? We need the lessons. What lessons do we learn? Firstly, number one, there's two sides to every story. Najashi taught us this. And he became a Muslim, Najashi. He taught us this. Okay, what's the next lesson? Never be haste. <coughs> Never act in, in haste. Don't rush. Who taught us this? Najashi. He also taught us this. Intelligent people lived a long time ago, brothers and sisters. Intelligent people. Never be in haste. No, none of this knee-jerk reaction. You know what a knee-jerk reaction is? It's this... You, you know, when, if you knock your knee at a certain spot, it reacts. It just, without you knowing it, it moves, right? Hmm? Some people have this. Something happens immediately. Reaction, 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 reaction. Take a deep breath. Get your heartbeat back to normal, right? Right? Get the blood pressure to come down, right? You need to do all these things. Then think. You know, my dad used to always tell me, you know what, don't answer. Answer tomorrow. Even in normal circumstances, answer tomorrow. Someone, you know, gives you a proposition. Answer tomorrow. What are you going to lose? Nothing. And especially when a situation causes you to become claustrophobic, even that is, you, then you really must answer tomorrow. <laughs> don't answer now. Because you answer something you'll regret. It happens. It happens. Many of times, we act in haste. We write an email, we send it. No, read it again. Maybe you were too hard. You said some things you shouldn't have said. You read it a second time, you start editing it, change it here, change it there. This is a bit too harsh. Why? Because when, by the time you finish writing, you calm down a little bit. Now you're reading again, you're reading with a different emotion. When you read it the second time, you calm down again. Right? When you read it again, you're going to say, Ah, no, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have said this. Wallah, sahih. And for those who don't like spelling mistakes, when do we see most spelling mistakes? When people just write emails and send it without checking. <laughs> Full of punctuation mistakes, spelling mistakes, and so on and so forth. So never be haste. Number three, never lose your values. How many times have we learned this in the seerah? Who taught us this? Najashi. They came with gifts. But did he get pressured? No. My value is I must listen to them. I have to listen to the other side. Yes, you brought me gifts, but does this mean you brought me gifts, I'm just going to now khalas. You gave me gifts, so I'm just going to listen to you? No. My way is I have to listen to the other side. And he did. And that's why they were supported. He made his decision. It wasn't because if he didn't, the gifts was, it's not a gift. It becomes what? Bribery. Then it becomes bribery. I'm a man of, I have values. I don't accept bribery and corruption, right? So no, these are gifts, they're gifts. 
What we're dealing with is something else. There's a due process. So we learn that third lesson. Never lose your values. Number four. What do we learn? If you live in a land that does not allow you to say La ilaha illallah or, or, or what La ilaha illallah necessitates, migrate. Migrate. Allah's earth is vast. Migrate. And the fifth lesson comes in. That we can seek safe haven in non-Muslim lands. If need be. We seek safe haven in non-Muslim lands if need be. If your land is persecuting you, you go to a non-Muslim land. The main thing is they allow you to worship Allah. If they don't, move somewhere else. We learn the permissibility of being able to do so. Rasulullah said, go to Najashi. Was Najashi a Muslim then? No. He was a Christian. Look. Right? This is what we tell. We say, look, Muhammad sent the Muslims to the Christians. Say, go and live under them. They will look after you. They're people of system and values. They have justice. And that's why I remember that lesson when I told you, be grateful. We live as Muslim minorities in Australia, in the UK, in Canada, in America. What did I say? Be grateful. I know in terms of the country's system, it's your right that you can pray salah and so on and so forth. So we say there's nothing to be thankful for. That's the democratic society. I say that's fine. But the Islamic system is that you be, you be thankful. They don't owe you favors for being a Muslim, do they? You be thankful. Thank them. What are you going to lose? You're showing the Islamic character, this da'wah, this. I'm not saying thank them for show. Sincerely thank them. Who knows what Allah will put in your action? Actions speak louder than words. What da'wah are you giving? Brothers and sisters in the universities, RMIT, all these masa- I gave a lecture once in RMIT. Beautiful place for salah. University of Melbourne, mashallah. Place for them to pray salah, not so? Right? So now, thank the authorities. Write to the rector. All the Muslims gather the signatures. A letter of heartfelt gratitude for giving us, allowing us the opportunity. Did they have to? Did they have to? Was, it, was that necessary to you being educated? No. It was courtesy. That they said, you have these beliefs? Okay. Here's a room, use it. Write a letter of thanks. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. Ameen. Brothers and sisters, we also learn a lesson. And that's from the way Ja'far spoke. When Najashi asked about what the two visitors said, what did Ja'far say? Ja'far said, we were a people who used to do this, 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 this. Good things or bad things? Bad things. He said the bad things before he mentioned what Rasulullah taught. Which was the good things. You know what the scholars deduce from this? This is a this is a principle. And we need this in Ramadan and any even during different times, people say, What is better for me to do? Should I say Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah and increase it? Or should I say Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah? Istighfar removes sins. Right? Alhamdulillah subhanallah brings rewards. Which should I do first? We say to clean the mess happens before you perfume the surface. If the, if the floor is still messed and you come with your brilliant perfume and you pour it on top, 
it's still going to be messy, right? <clears throat> it's still going to be it's still going to be messy. Clean the floor first. When you've rid, when you've when you've removed the impurities, now put the perfume. It's going to smell nice. The effect of the perfume will be felt. It won't be polluted by the negative nature of the filth and impurity. Same way, sins are impure. Remove the sin with istighfar. Remove the sins before you polish the surface. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla, wa la quwwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim. Subhanallah, wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. Subhanallah, wa bihamdihi, adada khalqi, wa rida nafsi, wa zinata arshi, wa midada kalimati. Right? Before you polish, clean the surface. How? Through istighfar. They, they deduced this from Ja'far's speech. How amazing this, wallahi. Istanbatu hadha min kalam Ja'far. أنه قدم المحاذير أو قدم السيئات يقول نحن كنا وكنا 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 we used to do all these sins he mentioned the sins before saying what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with so he mentioned all the dirt because now Rasulullah removed this dirt and he came with this goodness so they teach us that and, and, and even in the Quran, this message is true, even in the Quran, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his book, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says, فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us first to disbelieve in there being other gods worthy of worship besides Allah, and then believe that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. Disbelieve in all the other gods besides Allah, and then believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only being the only God worthy of worship. Clean the surface first, then polish it. You have to deny there being other gods worthy of worship besides Allah. When you've denied that there's nothing else worthy of worship besides Allah, now you say, La ilaha illallah, and announce your belief that there's only one, there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. So these are, this is, these are nuances, right? These are very unique lessons that we're just pulling out. But subhanAllah, and this I read from the work of the scholars, I said, La ilaha illallah. Rabbi zidni ilma. Wallahi. These scholars, wallahi, what Allah gave them was ajib. Was ajib. Tayyib. The last thing I'm going to say, brothers and sisters, and we'll end our series, uh, or this first part of the series on, and it's worth saying, is reinforcing what we've said many a time. And that is, the first da'wah you do is what? Tawheed. You call to the oneness of Allah. Because Ja'far spoke about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during his amazing speech in front of the king Najash. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. We've learned tens of lessons, if not hundreds, brothers and sisters. We've spent hours together, alhamdulillah. We've shared thousands of words with one another and listened to thousands of sentences. It's been an absolute honor being with you all here this Ramadan in Melbourne, Australia, 2014, to kick off 
this series, A Blast from the Past here in the 21st century. Inshallah, we're going to have a continuation of the series whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permits. We'll have the same name, inshallah, but we'll just call it part two and then part three and then part four, inshallah. Right? But alhamdulillah, you are the founding, the founding attendees, alhamdulillah, uh, of this particular series. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put great barakah in it. It's been an absolute pleasure, wallahi. And I thank you all for allowing me to be a guest in your home. And I pray that I've been a worthy guest. And to my brothers and sisters on the other side of that camera, I also thank you for allowing me to be a guest in your home. And I pray that I was a worthy guest as well. And I pray that you allow me to be a guest again. It's always a pleasure coming to Melbourne, wallahi. It's always a pleasure coming to Melbourne. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees many a visit. I pray that you remember my speech to you after Salat al-Isha about the blessing of having premises like these so that we can sit together in these premises and learn from the inheritance left behind by Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wallahi, when, I, when we started episode one, I never thought the last episode would come this fast. Episode number 16. Alhamdulillah bin'amati tatimu salihat All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it is with Allah's blessings that goodness becomes completed. Brothers and sisters, whatever I shared, I shared from my heart. And if it worked for you, share it with others. Spread the goodness and spread the khair. And help my rewards increase. Brothers and sisters, Allah blessed us to spend almost three weeks with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And my brothers and sisters, as I said to you yesterday, and I'm going to say to you again, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will not come back here. He's passed away. But it's for you to ask yourself a question. That if he was to come and knock our door today, how ready are we to invite him into our home? If he was to visit our Muslim organization today, how ready are we to open our door for him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? If he was to visit our Islamic school today, how ready are we to open our door for him? I tell this to my team as well. Al-Kawthar, if he was to visit an Al-Kawthar course today, how ready are we to open the door for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Can it be something that we will be so excited, open the door and welcome him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Or will it be subhanallah? Excuse ourselves for a few minutes whilst we sort things out inside. You know, maybe check the TV out the window quickly if the window's big enough. Because now the TVs are so big, subhanAllah. Right? Who knows? Might have to sort out things, you know, throw those magazines under the sofa. Change the ringtones on our mobile phones. Make sure, you know, the Makkah channel is on in case the TV switches on somehow. At least Makkah channel comes on. No, it's, we have to ask ourselves. This is what we have to ask ourselves. I want us to... to, to I want, this is how I want to end this, brothers and sisters. We've spent two and a half weeks in the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. But wallahi, sunnah is with us every day. It's with us every day. Whether we apply it or not, this is what we have to realize. If he was to visit us here today, how ready are we to receive the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the man who loved you and I, before we could love him. 
Wallahi, before we could love him. Before we were born, he loved us. I told you, he said to his companions, I miss my brothers. I miss my brothers. The Sahaba said, we are your brothers. Who are you missing? We're with you. He said, you are my companions. You are my companions. My brothers are those who will come. Wallahi, they wouldn't have seen me, nor this Quran being revealed. But they will believe in every word that I said and this message that Allah has revealed. Those are my brothers. I miss my brothers. Wallahi, he loved us before we loved him. How ready are we to receive Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? There's a big massive sign at the back of the masjid, the sunnah, the better. Where is the sunnah in our lives? Where is the sunnah? We've seen, wallahi, we've deduced things probably, subhanallah, Allah has opened upon this gathering lessons in the 21st century. From the time when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was in the womb of his mother, Allahu Akbar. Before he was even born, when did we start? We started with the, we started with the of the elephants. The sunnah, the better. Brothers and sisters, today we are people who leave things because it's sunnah. The greatest people who walked the face of this earth, they did things because it was sunnah. Because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam did it. Because he did it sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It wasn't it's only sunnah, it's khalas, don't worry about it. You know? No. Because he did it, they did it. And they were great because of it. You want greatness to come to this ummah? You want the situation to change? You need a lot more than boycotting products from a certain country by Allah. You need a lot more than that. You need a lot more than that. At-takhliya qabla tahliya You got to remove the filth, brothers and sisters. Yes, boycotting the products is good. Inshallah, it works. But you got to boycott the bid'ah. And you got to boycott that which is khilaf sunnah that which is against the sunnah. You got to boycott it as well. You got to boycott backbiting. You got to boycott disrespecting your parents. You got to boycott abandoning your children. Letting other people bring them up as if you can outsource parenting. Subhanallah. You got to abandon bad character. You got to abandon shaitan. You got to abandon being a slave of your desires. There's massive things that need boycotting, brothers and sisters. Don't get caught up in the, in the commotion that you've lost sight of the priorities. Don't be those people. Don't be those people. This is, this is what I want to close the series on. I want to close it on these words of, inshallah, wisdom and words of thought. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect in any mistake or mistakes and there were mistakes are from myself or indeed I'm weak and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree upon us to drink from the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day of Qiyamah that we can't wait to see him thus we see him and nobody takes us away from him that we died as people upon his way upon his character, upon his message. May Allah decree upon us to be from amongst those that will enjoy the intercession of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen. May Allah make us people 
that live the sunnah, revive the sunnah, support the sunnah, preach the sunnah, spread the sunnah, tear because of the sunnah, happy tears, painful tears when we see bid'ah, we cry painful tears because of the sunnah being disrespected and happy tears when we see the revival of the sunnah, may Allah make us these people. Ameen. May Allah grant us death whilst He's pleased with us. Grant us shade underneath His arsh on the day of Qiyamah. Grant us our book of deeds in our right hands. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this Ramadan and make it the best Ramadan we ever experienced. May Allah make us those who have witnessed the night of power. May Allah make us from amongst those freed from the hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the muttaqun, al-najihun, the successful people of taqwa with the passing of this month. Ameen. Allahumma a'id alayna shahra Ramadan a'waman adidah wa azminatan madidah. May Allah cause the month of Ramadan to visit us for many, many years to come. Wa nahnu fi sihhatin wa afiyah. And we enjoy good health and amazing situations so that we can worship Allah again and again during these blessed months. Ameen. Hada wallahu a'lam. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Wallahi, I do. Please forgive me if I didn't get around to answering any of your questions. If you wanted to see me and I walked away, Wallahi, it was not anticipated, it was not intended. Please forgive me, brothers and sisters. Please forgive me. And inshallah, I will leave details for you to contact me, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So for those that I missed, you can still contact, inshallah. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته until next time إن شاء الله